morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock, and I'll be your host every Wednesday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Who loves that nice sun out there the last few days today? What's expected to get into the low to mid-80s? I mean, come on. Don't tell me you don't love this weather, folks. Yesterday, or was it was it yesterday, Monday? I know Monday I sent it uh, to my family group. I sent a text. It was a screenshot of my phone with the weather uh, in New York, which was, I think, at the time, 94. And in Houston, it was 92. I was like, look at that. It's hotter in New York. And then I kind of look at the feels like, and it's like New York, 94. Feels like 94, 95, I think it was. Houston, 92. Feels like 105. I was like... Yeah, that sounds about right. I was uh, talking to some friends, and they're like, it was so hot. I was like, like honestly, like I walk outside, and I and I, I promise you, I'm telling you the truth. I walk outside, and it's hot. I'm not telling you it's not hot outside. It's hot. I'm not, you know, you know. I I understand heat. It's hot. I'm able to handle it a lot better than the average folk here, but it's hot. And and they say like, isn't it so humid outside? I was like, are you kidding me? It is. There's like you do you actually feel stickiness because I don't feel sticky at all. Like I walk outside and sure, like I I sweat. You know, after walking ten minutes, it's sweaty. After going to the subway, it's gross. It's sweaty because New York just handles it a totally different way than they do in Houston. Now here, I you know I I show up to work and, and well air conditioned here. Thank God. I go outside, right in the ninety degree weather. It's hot. Yes, it is, but it's not like it. Like I am actually. I'm not comfortable like it is slightly uncomfortable but i i but but i'm fine like i could handle it it's when i walk into a subway where there's no airflow so it's gross the subway itself is usually not as so air conditioned like i i have walked into the subways over the last few days where i'm like wow this is nice and then sometimes it's just like mm, i could use a fan um and then i walk outside and then you know i walk into a store and the, and the stores are just not air conditioned well um, and I walk into a different room here, and it's just not air conditioned well. And I walk into my apartment, and it's not air conditioned well. And and it takes ten minutes for you know I turn on the AC, I turn on the fan, to finally get some good airflow. But then I walk to the bathroom of my apartment where there's just no AC and it's hot. And I walk to the kitchen where there's no AC, there's a fan, but it's hot. Houston, I walk into work, air conditioned. It's crazy. I go into my car, AC. I go into a store, it's pumping air. Like, the city just knows how to handle it because outside it's gross, and it is. It is gross. I love it. It's gross, but it, but it is gross. So I understand anyone telling me it's super hot. I get it. It's not humid here in New York. Like, that. that is an argument I just have to disagree with you. Like, it just – there's a reason it's 95 and feels like 95 in New York. It's just not humid, and that's just something y'all are going to have to deal with. Um, I enjoy the sun. My my body doesn't enjoy it because sunscreen, and that's why I, I made sure I was playing softball on Sunday, and uh, I made sure to lather myself with sunscreen, and my body could handle that. But that's all. I, I you know I this this weather give me give me this weather all day over the winter, and it's the summer. Like you have to expect that New York, you have to expect it. Granted, it works both way. I have to expect the winter, and I hate it. But give me this all day over the winter. All, all day. And and I'll get sweaty. And I'll shower. Listen, that's why we have showers. But And you're going to tell me that's why we have coats. But give me this all day. So, yeah, listen, today we'll be in the 80s. It'll be fine. 
Thursday. How about tomorrow? It's supposed to be beautiful. And then uh, over the weekend, some rain, whatever it is. But that's my weather for you. And, and uh, you know, I mentioned I played softball on Sunday. Thursday night, a little bit of a scare. I was in the emergency room, um, played basketball over at Yeshiva University, and uh, got an elbow to the head. And uh, so my immediate reaction was just put my hand over my head. It hurts. And whatever. So the player that hit me is like, let me just, you know, just take your hand off. And I take my hand off. And for those of you that, that may get a little queasy or whatever, maybe this is where you pause for a second, put your hand, you know, lower the volume a bit. But so I put my hand over my head. I take my hand off and my whole hand is red. I was like, oh, that's not good. Um, so I kind of just run to the bathroom, immediately put pressure over it. Um, went to the ER. The, the whole emergency room system is is a joke. I go to the ER, my, my head's wrapped, uh, you know, Hatsala ambulance, and, and I thank them, they're, they're really incredible. Um, get to the ER about 10.15, I'm not seen until 1.30. Now again, it's not high priority, I think, I mean like, sure, I'm gushing out blood out of my head, but for the most part, it's it's not high priority. I, I show up there, and my brother went, he was playing basketball, went with me, I told him to go home. There's literally no reason for him to be there, and I appreciate him coming a lot, like, thank you very much. Um, but I think he was just trying to get out of his uh, fatherly duties of the night. But 10.15, I show up. And I'm not seeing until 1.30. I'm literally, it's three hours and 15 minutes. And, I'm, and I, I should have just gone to an urgent care. That was just dumb on my part. I wasn't thinking. And maybe that's because I got hit in the head. But uh, at about 11.45, I go over to one of the nurses. I say, hey, like, can can I just walk out and show up in the morning when, I'm not sure if it would have been, less traffic I, I i don't know but i was just like like can i go to an urgent urgent care and unfortunately my timing 11 45 everything closes by 12 i thought there was a 24 hour one if there is i missed it they said listen you're number three so i was like okay does that mean 30 minutes does that mean five hours she's like I, it really just depends on on the type of night we're having and it seems pretty busy I was like, gee, okay, so I'm sitting around 11.45, I'm number three. I was like, okay, like, let's figure 20, 30 minutes a person. Lo and behold, it's 1.30 by the time I get seen. Um, the nurse says, or the doctor, I don't even know, they say, yeah, it's, you know, pretty nice. I think we're going to put staples in the head. I was like, okay. I've actually had, in fifth grade, I was in a relatively minor, eh, maybe, whatever, at least to me, a minor car accident where glass ended up in my head not to my knowledge i i didn't know until one of them checked like oh i was like oh cool so they they actually put a few staples in my head then um but let me tell you staples to the head is not fun that's that's what i learned um you know i asked the nurse or the doctor right beforehand um are you gonna numb my head and she said no i I think the numbing is actually gonna hurt you more you know the needle is gonna hurt you more than the staples i said listen i trust you um, I don't trust her anymore. I, I don't think she was right. Uh, maybe she was. I don't know. But but um, you can imagine the type of pain that's that goes with the stables to the head. So Thursday night eventful. Um, I had an ufruf, which made uh, Shabbos somewhat entertaining. I decided to take off the bandage afterwards. I was like, I can't walk around with this like turban-looking thing over the ufruf. So I took that off. Um, ufruf was great. Um, and now I'm kind of just walking around New York City with three stables in my head. I don't like. I don't. I don't know if people notice it. My roommates are kind of telling me that like you can't really notice unless you're told. 
which is great. The part that, that I got hit is, is a part that I, I mean, excuse the lingo, I keep fresh. So every two weeks I give myself my own haircut to that part of my hair. Um, so it's relatively seen there. My, my real concern with, with the staples, I just wanted to make sure. I said, you know, are you going to give me st- staple stitches? They said, well, stitches, like we're going to have to shave that. Hair. I was like, mm, listen, I my hair is important to me. So let's uh, let's try to be the... Let's try to keep it as fresh as possible without shaving any anything. So aesthetically, they went with the staples. And uh, this Friday, I got to go to either an or- urgent care or back to the emergency room, which which I don't think I'm going to do, and uh, get the staples removed, which I believe, which I've been told, should not, which should be pain free. So uh, we'll see what happens. But thank you to all of you who have uh, checked in with me and to my friends for reaching out. It was very nice waking up in the morning. Too many texts um, asking how I was, and uh, so I appreciate that on that end. And uh, speaking of staples, actually, not there's there's this is totally not a segue at all. Um, the NBA Finals has passed Monday night. We had the NHL NHL Finals Sunday night. I admittedly am not a hockey fan, though I do enjoy the NHL playoffs. I I agree. There's pretty much I think there's second to none NHL playoffs. Really exciting. So I was watching a lot of the hockey games Sunday night, Monday night, the NBA Finals, and I wonder if I if I if I gave my prediction earlier on in what was it I guess two weeks ago in my uh, bite size open, but I was telling people, listen, I I expect a sweep, and I and this is not a discredit to Cleveland; they're a great team, but Golden State is is an all world team, a arguably one of the best teams to ever step on the court. So I expected a sweep. So when I heard Friday night, or Shabbos morning, I should say, that they won, I, that Cleveland actually won a game, I was shocked. Credit. I said four, maybe five, but if I were a betting man, I'd say four. So uh, Golden State goes on to win the NBA championship. Not surprising at all. Um, I am not one of those people that, that hate Kevin Durant for his decision, I think. Uh, it's not that I applaud it. I happen to be a huge Kevin Durant fan. I think he's somehow turned into one of the most underrated superstars of our era, I can't really say ever because I don't know, but Kevin Durant is awesome. The best player on the court and uh, definitely deserving of the NBA Finals MVP. Best player on the court. I don't know. I mean, I still think LeBron James is the best player in the world. He won't win the regular season NBA MVP. That is likely to go to Russell Westbrook, and I assume Harden's going to be second. But what we witnessed in the NBA Finals is maybe one of the largest I don't even know if this is a word, amassment of, of talent ever. I think, again, I am not knowledgeable to tell you in the 80s and then in the early 90s the talent level that was on the court, but LeBron James is going to go down as maybe one of the best to ever play. That's a, that's an argument for a different time for a sports show. Kevin Durant is going to go down as one of the top three, five small forwards of all time. That guy is is a scorer. And... And a great, great defender, and that's one of the most underrated parts of his game is that he could actually. I mean, the guy's got seven foot wingspan, easy, could defend any of one. He doesn't have to because you got Clay Thompson there, but and Draymond Green. Um, but the amount of talent that's on that floor, and I know people don't really love Kevin Love. That guy is a hell of a basketball player, and so is Kyrie Irving. You got Thompson and Curry, maybe the most dynamic scoring duo of all time, shooting duo of all time, pure scores. Not to mention Durant. I mean, just just an incredible and 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 I saw the numbers. 
and a lot of people on my Twitter timeline were saying that maybe, maybe they won't, you know, the ratings won't do well. I'm not going to watch. Everyone knew it was going to be Cleveland and Golden State. I'm not going to watch the NBA Finals. And maybe this is hindsight and I tweeted that, but look at that. I mean, Game 5 was, one of, is, was I think, the most viewed NBA, non-Game 7 NBA Finals of all time. And obviously, why, like, why shouldn't it be? Like I said, maybe the best team of all time to ever step on the court. The best player of all time, maybe, to step on the court. One of the best small forwards of all time. One of the most dynamic scoring duos of all time. I mean, come on. People are going to watch talent. And you might not be happy about super teams, but people are going to watch it. It doesn't fit your narrative. All right. People are going to watch it. That's the NBA. And on the Major League Baseball side, my Astros, small skid because at some point Monday, I mean, the team's banged up. At some point Monday, all five of the expected starting five, you know, when when you look at your team and you say the best starting five pitchers on your team, at some point Monday, all five of the Astros Best starting five. That's Keuchel, McCullers, McHugh, Morton, and Musgrove were on the DL. Maybe not at all five because McCullers went on and, and Musgrove came off, but five of their starters on the DL. So a small skid right now. They have the depth to uh, ride it out, I think. It's still a double-digit lead. That's why, ev- that's why every game in baseball is important because you never know when a guy's going to get hurt, when a, you know, the Angels go into a game, and Mike Trout's now out eight weeks. The best player in baseball is out eight weeks. You you never know one injury how it could affect the team. You every baseball game is important, um, and sometimes you see managers managing their bullpen a different way because they're looking in the long term. And I get it, but every game is important. The Astros have built themselves a large lead to afford themselves some stretches like this. You know they have the offense to be in any game, but right now they, they kind of lack a lot of pitching. But they have depth to hopefully keep them somewhat in games. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But as I said, I'm excited. Kind of looking at my October schedule, like, okay, when I'm going to be home because there's going to be some playoff baseball in Houston that I want to attend. So uh, over the last few weeks of this season, when I say this season, I'm talking about the um, the Bite Size and the Nahum Seal Network Season 5 season. We'll, we'll continue to monitor it. But that's your baseball update and sports update. As far as what's going to be on today's show, here we go. That's what people want to hear. We have Tova Knach's interview with Rachel Wagner Rosenzweig of Made in Jalem. Um, so that'll come up at about, geez, I mean, we're uh, we're already here. So about, let's say, 9.30 or so. And then and then uh, Joanna Shepson joins the program with an interview um, about the Beit Avichai organization. And that is with Rabbi David Rosenson. He is the CEO of Beit Avichai. So that'll come out about 10, 15 or so. No four to the door this week. Again, no four to the door this week. But uh, we'll have what to talk about as we wrap up the show five to ten minutes beforehand. But it's a Wednesday, and there's always a reason to dance in this world. Mahapecha Shel Simcha. Get up. Belt it out. Sing it out. Mahapecha Shel Simcha. Bite size. Wednesday morning right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. שמעתי שעושים פה מסיבה בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני נשים 
הצרות מאחוריי אני לא הולך עד שכולכם מג'נונים היי, שמעתי שהתחלתם בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני היי, הראש כבר מסתובב כולם בהיי לא נעצור עד שכולכם מג'נונים Snow is hot 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Eitan Katz's Vili Rushalayim, as we are back on Baitais here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And I thought that was a uh, an appropriate song for our uh, next interview with Tova Knech. Tova Knech's interview with Rachel Wagner Rosenzweig, the Director of Business Development of Made in Jalem. That's madeinjalem.org. And for more on that, here's Tova with Rachel right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. I'm sitting in Yerushalayim with Rachel Wagner Rosenzweig, the Director of Business Development at Made in JLM. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, fellow Americans. <laughs> you have uh, roots in uh, New Jersey, or your husband has roots in New Jersey. Yes, Nahan. And my in-laws actually live in New Jersey. So I'd like to give a shout-out to all, all of my family there in New Jersey. I miss you guys. Love you. What's their name? And the Rosen Swags. The Rosen Swags. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Before we hear all about, you're clearly not from New Jersey, though. No, I'm from Manchester, England. Okay, so let's talk about your Aliyah story before we get into what Made in JLM is. Okay, so I'm actually 26 right now. Oh, I'm 27 in a week. Ah. Less than a week. <laughs> um, when this airs, you will already be 27. Yes! So oh my gosh! Happy birthday! 30. Thank you so much. Um, so basically, I came here actually when I was 18 with my youth movement, Habonim Draw. Um, so I kind of did a gap year here. I did a gap year here. Okay. Um, we volunteered, we lived on kibbutz, and I never thought I would stay after. I always, I always knew I would go back to university in England, but I never had a passion for it. I just knew that I had to do it, I had to conform. Right. And one of the, um, the best lessons that I gained um, on my gap year was my madrucha, my counsellor. She told me, you know, just because you grew up a certain way doesn't mean you have to live that way. Wow. And my whole life, you know, we'd, be, you know, we'd all be doing the same thing. We'd be going to the same universities. It's very right. similar, I presume, presume, in America. Yes. Um, and once I realized that just because I grew up a certain way doesn't mean I had to carry that on, I thought, oh my gosh, like, I'm kind of falling in love with Israel. And, you know, I want to live here. And just because I were, you know, was supposed to go to university in England and do everything that everyone else is doing doesn't mean I necessarily have to do it. What's going to happen if I live in Israel? And so, um, after my gap year, I told my family that I wanted to stay in Israel. It was kind of like a big shock. And then... Were they um, okay, though, with you? So, actually, what happened was, they were okay with it. I was going to go and study theatre studies at Tel Aviv University. And I, you know, I just wanted to get out of doing the army. <laughs> and then, eventually, I kind of realized that everyone my age wasn't around, and they were in the army. So, um, I started to research kind of jobs in the army, what the army is, because really when you're from abroad, you think the army's just fighting, and right. you, you have no clue that it's a whole world of everything. Right. So um, this was kind of behind my parents' back. Okay. I'm not saying it's okay, but, you know, I thought that I had to. Um, and I met this, this um, one girl that had this amazing job called Majichat um, Sarel, which is when you take groups from all over the world, um, and you take them on an army base, and they volunteer, and they help the army, and you're kind of like the ambassador for Israel. You do a lot of educational activities. You take them on trips. You go on all different bases with different groups from all over the world, different religions and different ages. And I was like, oh, my God, this is perfect. A job in the army where I can inspire people to love Israel as much as I love Israel. Um, and so I kind of fought my way into this unit. Um, 
did everything behind my parents' back. And then I went home for Rosh Hashanah to England and it kind of slipped at the table that I wanted to do the army and it wasn't me that said it. And my parents were very worried and they were very scared and I just said, you know, I'm doing it. I got this job and I'm going to be fine and they were really worried about me. And then actually the army was probably one of the best two, you know, two years of my life. And um, I didn't have one day in the army except the first week where I was kind of in shock. But apart from that... I loved every single day of the army. I'm so lucky to have such an amazing service. So you definitely recommend people looking into it? Yes. My one piece of advice would be to really do your research beforehand and check the kind of jobs that you're interested in and fight until you've got nothing left in you to get that job because once you get to Israel, you know, it's kind of like you really have to... Sink or swim. (laughs) Do everything for yourself and push. Right. You have to be pushy. And I was kind of born pushy, so I really fit in straight away. Um, so oh. then I'll just say quickly, I, yes. in the army actually, in, in the kitchen duty, uh-huh. I was doing the dishes and that's where I met my husband. Nothing happened at the time, I just remembered that we, we spoke and then three years later we actually got set up and we realised we'd done the dishes together. Oh, how cute. Um, so yeah. Does he, does he still help me with the dishes? Yeah, he does all the dishes. No, he actually does. He, does, he doesn't help me. We do it together. Yeah. And he... Um, Very cute. Adorable. <laughs> he does the dishes. Um, and, um, and then after the army, I actually um, became more observant and more religious. I went to Australia and New Zealand on my own for four months and thought, you know what, I'm just going to do a bit more searching before I 100%... I mean, I'd already decided I wanted to live in Israel, but I just wanted to see what other Jewish communities were like. So I went to Australia and New Zealand. Uh Um, And I realised it was very much like England, very much like America. There was something missing. Right. Just that heat, that that living in that, you know, the passion, being there for each other, this kind of non-superficial atmosphere, which I really love when it's kind of everyone's kind of dealing with things that are very important you know obviously we're living in a war zone and not that that's a good thing but it really does bring everyone together and I just realized wow Israel really is special and then I went back to Israel and I started my degree in Hebrew University and um and then I started volunteering for the Lone Soldier Center as well um five years ago as soon as I finished the army I wanted to continue contributing to the army so that's when so the Lone Soldier Center is a great place to volunteer yes. what did you help them with um, I started with the social team events, and then three years ago, I got asked to be the social team coordinator, and ever since then, I've been doing that also in Tel Aviv and also Jerusalem. So I was there kind of for the first Friday night meals that we had at the, in the center for the, for the um, soldiers, and I've really seen it grow, and it's been really meaningful and fantastic experience. Now it's a huge project, yeah. huge family. Um, so funny because I already I interviewed Lizzie Noah from the Lone Soldier Center and actually yeah. I'm going to interview do another interview there with Ari Cocker so um, that's fantastic that you volunteer there yeah it's amazing yeah. so today you do that you still help them yes I still do that <laughs> every two wow. weeks we have a meal and we also have events and um, we actually just did an event for Yomi Rushaline together with the soldiers and um, so that was really special so you know, I feel very, very lucky that I can have... I, I feel honoured, honestly, to be able to contribute so directly to the Israeli society. That's fantastic. So besides really helping from, from the volunteer <laughs> aspect, you're also really helping Jerusalem. Jerusalem, over the last five years, has seen tremendous growth in the startups. Mm. It's not just Tel Aviv. Yeah. It's really happening in Jerusalem now also. So what do you contribute to this growth? <clears throat> so basically, I'm the director of business development for a non-profit called Made in Jerusalem, or Made in JLM. Um, Basically, the aim of Made in Jerusalem is to really strengthen, empower, and connect the Jerusalem tech ecosystem. 
Um, and just so that you guys know, um, in 2012, nothing was going on in Jerusalem in regards to startup and tech. There was actually a startup survey, it's called um, a startup genome survey, that was done all over the world to say which cities were the most active in regards to startups. Okay. And actually, Tel Aviv was number two on the list in 2012, and Jerusalem wasn't on the list at all. And Quite fairly so, because there was really nothing going on here. Um, Tel Aviv was the second second the in the world, world yes, after Silicon, Silicon, Valley. Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley was number wow. one. So um, at the time, a few people um, said, you know, let's do something about it. Made in JLM was also established in 2012 in order to, you know, kind of get Jerusalem on the map and get it going with startups. And mm-hmm. so, um, in regards to t- statistics, in 2012 there were only seven VCs, which are you know venture capitals that yes. fund the startups. Now there are over 15, and um, the 15. And also there were zero um, accelerators and co-working spaces in 2012. Now there are 15. And also the growth in startups. Um, in 2012, there were only 43 new startups um, being established that year. And last year, there were over 100 new startups. Um, furthermore, in 2012, there were only um, 100 startups in Jerusalem. And actually, last year, there were counted um, 500 startups and 550 tech companies. So these are huge, you know, these have been multiplied by huge numbers. And um, I think Made in JLM has been an amazing platform to really help help this happen. And basically, Made in JLM is based on four platforms. One of them is community. We do, for example, a community happy hour. Um, that anyone that wants to come and check out the tech scene in Jerusalem is welcome to come to. It's basically a happy hour that's open to all, anyone who's interested in tech, anyone that is involved with tech. And it's basically, we have a different theme every month and we bring everyone together. So we did one just now for Yom Yerushalayim and we brought over 100 community leaders to this one. And it was just fantastic. It was like, you know, we were all kind of going through this revolution together. Um, and also we um, are constantly collecting data so that it can be shared with everyone about how many startups there are, how much money is being pumped into the startups by the VCs, and so that we can always know exactly where Jerusalem is on the, on the scale of things. Um, and for example, the startup genome survey that I talked about um, previously, um, last year, in 2016, we were actually number in the top 25 That's in the amazing. world. That's like amazing, going from not on the list at all, right. five years later, to being yeah. within the 25. And that was before the Mobileye acquisition. Um, so, yeah, also, us. the two biggest exits in, in um, Israel have been have been um, in, from Jerusalem, Mobileye to Intel, 15.3 billion. And yes, to Cisco, that's another company that was acquired by Cisco. Um, also, I think that was 5 billion. So, you know, these are huge it's numbers tremendous. and they're, they're, they're all in Jerusalem. So there really is so much potential here. And I honestly feel like what I'm doing in um, Made in Jerusalem, Made in JLM is, is kind of like what I was doing in the army and being an ambassador and really helping Israeli society. There it was the army, now it's Israeli society to really grow, provide more jobs, um, you know, you know, just make, make business connections all over the world and really make um, not only Israel but Jerusalem, you know, an enlightenment to the whole world in regards to its technology and, you know, wow. revolutionary technology. Well, you call yourself an ambassador, but you also bring, I mean, I think that's true because you do bring people around to see the tech, the tech ecosystem in Jerusalem. You bring delegations, students. Yeah. So basically part of my job um, is to really connect um, high profile groups and also student groups to um, the Jerusalem tech ecosystem. And so I basically lead a lot of delegations that come and want to connect to the Jerusalem tech and startup scene. Um, 
there's two goals for this. Basically, the first goal is to really rebrand Jerusalem so that it's not just seen as a city of um, you know, history, religion, political right. tension, but also a city of the future, innovation and tech. Mm-hmm. And also, obviously, to create meaningful business connections between com- companies, VCs, um, investors, whoever, from abroad and bring them to uh, Jerusalem to actually... Um, make connections and not only just from abroad and we're actually doing an event next month and we're helping with an event where 50 VCs 50 VC representatives are coming from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem we really want to connect them to the Jerusalem scene and I think now people are really seeing that Jerusalem there's so much going on here there's so much potential well I heard a rumor tell me if it's true about Mobileye um, they're going to be building a 30-story building in Jerusalem yeah, they are planning to build. Um, I think they want they want Jerusalem to be the center of um, autonomous driving technology uh-huh. and provide you know thousands of jobs. And this will be really a game changer for Jerusalem. And not only that, but um, the municipality announced that the, the mayor announced that they will be ma- making this um, business district for um, Jerusalem. It's called the Jerusalem Gateway. Um, they're pumping, you know, it's, I think they're spending over $300 million in order to make Jerusalem the entrance to Jerusalem, a business district. So um, building towers, providing, I think, 40,000 new jobs, new car, um, car, car, park, car parking spaces. Yeah. Um, and this is really, you know, to make Jerusalem a, a true business district and provide jobs and, you know, bring international businesses here, which completely goes with our goals at Made in JLM. So that's also very exciting. Um, and also... Um, by next year, 2018 March, we're hoping that the um, the train, the the fast train, will be built from, from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv, which is 27 minutes. So that will, you know, bring changer. talent over from Tel Aviv to work in Jerusalem, and you know, it'll, it'll should be great it'll change for the, the city. traffic patterns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every morning. Mm-hmm. So, Rachel, what do you think is the secret source to Jerusalem's growing success in the startup scene? Um. Well, I'm going to give one word, and I actually can teach you guys this word too. It's called filgun. It comes from the word lefalgen, which basically means to give someone a compliment and not necessarily expect anything in return. And it's something that's extremely central to the Jerusalem tech ecosystem. I think if you ask anyone that's really heavily involved in the Jerusalem tech scene, they will say that it's an extremely supportive community. It's not dog-eat-dog. It's you know, healthily competitive. And everyone really wants to help everyone and give everyone a filgun, a compliment, whenever they feel like they should. Yeah. And we have a WhatsApp group with over 200 community leaders in it and wow. it's from the tech scene. And it's extremely active. And if someone wants help with something, they'll get you know, an answer in five minutes from five different people. Uh-huh. I don't think you'll see this in any other tech ecosystem in the world. And I think, I think because when Israel yeah. succeeds, you've, it's personal. Yeah. You know, everybody wants Israel to succeed. Yeah. So everybody's putting their own effort into helping that happen. Exactly. And I think just something special about Jerusalem, and you don't really, I can't really put my finger on it exactly, but it really is this kind of atmosphere of feel good, of supporting one another without necessarily um, expecting something in return. And I think that's something that's extremely special. Um, and helpful to our startup ecosystem here. We actually created a day called um, Phil Goon Day, which wow. is this one day a year where everyone kind of goes online and gives everyone a Phil Goon, and Cosmopolitan magazine um, wow. wrote about it. So it's, um, yeah, very cool. International Phil Goon Day. That's great. Okay, so Rachel, with all your experience in Israel, coming here when you were 18 and seeing the scene and traveling abroad and then coming back, what is some advice that you could give people that are thinking about moving to Israel? Maybe they already live here, or maybe it's not even on their radar yet. What's the message that you can give them? Um, well, firstly, if you are, say, 
um, under 18 or you're thinking of coming here before, after university, during those years. Um, I'd highly recommend just doing it, coming here, getting here as early as possible and learning the language, joining the army, doing Sharot Lumi National Service. I think my best piece of advice and something that truly helped me was obviously learning the language. It's extremely hard and challenging, but if you immerse yourself in an Israeli situation, it may be very hard for the first six months, but you will learn Hebrew much quicker. So I think Hebrew is a huge um, factor of it. And I think a lot of people struggle with kind of um, expressing themselves in Hebrew when they get here. They feel like they've lost their personality because they don't speak Hebrew, they're with Israelis. You know, I had an Israeli boyfriend when I first came and I just couldn't speak in front of his friends and I just felt like, you know, and then I learned the language and now, you know, I can, I can really have a personality in Hebrew. So I think, you know, it's very important to immerse yourself in an Israeli situation and learn Hebrew. Um, and secondly, you know, just when you come here, know that those American manners, that, you know, they're great, but you have to really be pushy and, you know, just push through everything and if it means calling someone five times call them five times and yes, don't, it, take, don't take no for an the answer. bureaucracy may seem annoying but we actually just had someone at our last community happy hour she represented um the ict department in the government and she they're now trying to make all the bureaucracy go digital so maybe by the time you get here, everything will be digital and you won't have to deal with bureaucracy which is one of the biggest challenges to moving in israel but um, really the advice is just, just go with your heart and don't just do something because you grew up thinking that you had to do it. You know, go with your heart and know that there's a lot of people waiting here to welcome you with open arms. Right, and because it is such a young country, there's so much available for people to, uh, to still do. Yeah, there really is. You, you're still a pioneer if you come here. There's so much to do here. And, you know, something for me is that I feel like if I was to go back to England right now, um, obviously my family's there, I love them very much, but in regards to what I can contribute to England and, and how much I care about England, I feel like I really don't have that much to give, but here I just feel like there's so much to do, you know, it's a Jewish country that's so young and, you know, it is the startup nation and even if you come here, you are a startup yourself right. and taking a risk. So on that note, what is your favorite aspect about living in Israel? Um, my favorite aspect... In Jerusalem specifically. My well, my favorite aspect is seeing growth, seeing change, seeing improvements all the time. And um, what I did in the army and what I'm doing right now, I really feel like I can make an impact, which is, I feel honestly honored that I even have the opportunity to do that. Um, so my favorite aspect is really um, just just the fact that there's so much to do here. And if you have the opportunity to contribute and you do, it's, it's really an amazing, amazing way to to live your life, you know, constantly trying to contribute and improve Israel. And like I said, Jerusalem's like a startup. There's so much to do here. So, you know, just come and, and take part try in and help whatever you can to, in the startup. <laughs> Another one of my favorite aspects of living in Israel is the family feeling. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, it just, you kind of think it goes without saying, we're all Jews, we're one big family. But it really is like that. You know, I walk down the street and I know that if anything was happened to me, if I fell over, five different people would come and help me. And it actually is like that. And, and I really feel it. And I don't feel that anywhere else in the world. And I think that's just, why would you want to live anywhere else when it's, right, you know, when such one big family? It's, it is. You're, you're onto something because, you know, the concept of like everybody's responsible for everybody else, mm -hmm. you know, so that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, if you could think of one place in Israel that you call your Israel happy place, what place would that be? Um, well, honestly, I wouldn't say there's one specific location. I'm more into kind of feelings. And like I said before, you know, having, having an impact is very important for me in contributing. So I'd say my happy place is the feeling I get after I 
you know, um, organize an event or I have a delegation come and show them this amazing tech scene and make business, make, you know, help them make business connections or like what I did in the army, having these groups come and inspire them to join, to, to come live in Israel or when I had younger groups, inspire them to even join the army. And I think whenever I have this feeling of accomplishing something in Israel, contributing, um, I get into that happy place like, wow, again, I feel like I contributed. I feel like, you know, I helped someone. Yeah. And I really mean it. That's, that's, it's your purpose. It's you feel like you have a purpose here. A hundred percent. And I just feel, I've never felt that before in my life. And it's, it's like before I came to Israel. And it's really something that, you know, I get quite a lot. And I'm, I'm, I really, really feel thankful that I have that. Well, my bracha to you is that you should uh, continue having that happy feeling. Thank you. And, uh, just yeah. be successful. And then when I build a family, I'm going to have that every day, right? With the kids. Please, God. That'll be your startup. <laughs> yep, another startup. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Thank you. And uh, this was really fun. Thank you. Thanks, Tova. Thank you, Tova. And thank you, Rachel. Again, that's Rachel Wagner Rosenzweig. She's the director of business development of Made in Jalen. That's madeinjalen.org. Check it out for more information. And for Tova, tovaandisrael.com, Tova and Israel on Facebook. Continue to follow her if you haven't already, go ahead and follow her as she continues to provide a lot of great content uh, for all those interested in things going on in Jerusalem or all over Israel. Go ahead and check it out again. Tova in Israel on Facebook or tovainisrael.com. More coming up here on Bite Size. I was sent a uh, an interesting um, mix by a fellow named Simcha Jacobi. He actually mixed Ivri Anochi and Schar Mitzvah. So I want you to take a listen. Let me know how uh, what you think about it because uh, I think it's very interesting, very cool, and a great idea. So here's the Ivri Anochi and Schar Mitzvah mix right here on Bite Size on the Nachum Siegel Network.
profit nor of profit's blood Still you welcome me in honest earnings day You've opened all your inner doors That I may walk along with and secure your On the horizon with your eyes in mind You honor me with your golden crown On the horizon with your eyes in mind Given all I can Like water is to water Beast is proud to let You fill me like I've never known As if I never stood to fight alone the horizon with your eyes and mine You honor me with your golden crown Your kindly words You lift me up inside into your world Why was I the gifted one? A tree that plants and grows with no help from the sun
feel it, it's all my own I feel so hectic till I say Shabbat Shalom In any city, I feel home Right from the start to the last fear Kahama's zone I got that pride in my religion Got my friends and family Got that challah in the oven It's so hot, mm, We keep these same traditions After so many centuries That's the way we choose a rocket on Shabbat Shabbos feeling a selection from 613. Yesterday was June 13th, so 613. I figured I'd pl- I know today's 614, but I couldn't find a group called 614, so I decided I'd play 
one of my favorite selections from 613. So that's how we got to um, that Shabbos feeling. But here we are back on Bite Size about a quarter after 10. And uh, that means it's time for Joanna Shepson's interview with Dr. David Rosenson, the CEO of Beit Avichai. You'll want to make sure to listen to that. So here we go. Joanna Shepson with Dr. David Rosenson right here on Bite Size on the Nachum Segal Network. Thank you, Yoni. So I wanted to give the, the listeners a chance to hear about some of the exciting programming going on this summer in Yerushalayim. And so I'm sitting with Rabbi Dr. David Rosenson, who's the CEO of Beit Avichai. And uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about Beit Avichai and what's going to be happening here this summer. Hi, Rabbi. How are you? I'm good. Um, thank you for coming. Actually, this summer we celebrate our 10th anniversary. And um, Beit Avichai was opened in 2007. It was created by the Avichai Foundation. And the, the mission of Beit Avichai is really to try to show that Israeli culture and Israeli life is, is uh, founded, embedded in Jewish thought and Jewish ideas. That really, um, the way that we develop Israeli culture, the way that Israeli personalities um, and musicians kind of perform, Many of their songs, many of their lyrics, many of the things that um, their words are based on really really are founded in Jewish thought. And we want to try to somehow highlight that because I think that um, there are Israelis that live as Israelis and uh, many Jews, uh, particularly the more Orthodox, the religious Jews, live as, you know, live a life that's uh, built on halacha. But in Israeli schools, in the Israeli school system, sometimes they are, uh, they, they're not given the opportunity. Uh, to become aware of just the, the treasure troves, the richness of Jewish history, of Jewish study and Jewish thought. And I think some of the more religious Israelis, more observant Israelis, don't really understand on that level, on an educational level, some of the Israelis. And so what we try to do here at Beit Avichai, and I think that's the mission, is really to show the richness, the beauty of the Jewish heritage, of Jewish life, of Jewish culture, and the way it seamlessly can interact and really could enhance uh, somebody's somebody's life who's living as an Israeli. So, for example, if we have a, a musical performance here at Beit Avichai, it's just it's not simply a musical performance. It's a performance which tries to highlight the lyrics that the musicians are singing, the the, the historical background, the um, if it has to do with Jewish heritage. So we'll highlight that as well, and we do it the other way. Too. So if you have poetry by Leah Goldberg, or you have, I don't know, uh, um, books by Mary Shalev. So we try to also bring them together with uh, Jewish scholars, Israeli educators, that also focuses on the fact that much, if not all, of, uh, of Israeli life is moored, or should be moored, and tethered to Jewish study and Jewish texts. Um, so what I want to just let the listeners know is Beit Avichai is a beautiful building on King George Street, um, 44 King George. And if you walk past it, you'll see that there are always signs up about different lectures, events, plays. And I saw that your summer is packed with stuff. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what special activities you're going to have in the summer in honor of your 10th anniversary. So actually, there, there are three different categories of activities. The first, from July 3rd to July 9th, is um, as a week-long festival of events that brings Jewish thought, Jewish literature, Israeli thought, Israeli literature uh, to the fore, including uh, authors. Mayor Shalev will be joined by Avigdor Shinan, um, who wrote um, a new version of Sefer Agada, 
<clears throat> and Mayor Shalev will talk about his literature in combination with that. Um, all kinds of musicians. There'll be an evening of Abiyatar Banai, one of the leading Israeli musicians, who is going to be doing an evening on the thought and, and basically interpretation of Rav Kook, speaking together with a rabbi, uh, a cousin of his, about the works of Rav Kook. That's uh, fascinating, because actually I love to hear Abiyatar Banai. Uh, Eviatar Banai. Eviatar, yeah, he's terrific, and he's really part of the whole Banai family. And actually, there'll also be an evening in memory of, of Mayor Banai, who died recently. And actually, Mayor Banai was probably the first that started this kind of real revolution, I would say, this renaissance of Israeli artists and performers who are starting to go back to their roots and are starting to look at Piyutim and other performances and music as something which, which is... Um, which is something which is important. I just want to speak about some of the other events that we're planning this summer. You know, Tisha B'Av uh, is a difficult day here in Jerusalem. It's hot. There's a lot of... And uh, people that go to Beit Knesset basically finish at, I guess, 11 or 12. Beit Tebichai now, for a number of years, has been running um, a very popular program on Tisha B'Av, which is basically we turn all the rooms and facilities into the building into a theater, into a cinema. And the movies that are screened deal with issues of uh, friction, deal with uh, concepts of friction in families, frictions in society. And we often invite speakers to each one of the showings um, that will kind of bring the movies into much greater light. So that's what we do here in Tisha B'Av. And usually it's a program that's very, very full. It's complete with um, all the auditoriums are full and it's a cycle of movies. It runs... It begins at 11, and it runs almost until the end of the fast. And, of course, then we provide those that, that go and have a mincha, and then afterwards want to break the fast, they break the fast here. I think something else I want to mention is there are two activities that I've been affected by that Beit Avichai has done. Um, one is, this is, I think, is the second year that on Yom HaZikaron you've created these animated short films. They are so powerful, without any words, telling the stories of soldiers and their families' lives. And I've actually shared it a lot on Fun in Jerusalem, so people outside of Israel could could get the feeling that we feel here on Yom Hazikaron. Um, and the other one, um, on Hanukkah, they had some fabulous, they have fabulous programming every year, but when I first made Aliyah, there was an incredible activity where you could walk from room to room and meet different characters from Jewish history. And really out of, you'd spend 10 minutes in the room and you'd walk out feeling like, I knew that person and I knew their personality and I knew their story. And for my kids, it was fascinating. And they still today talk about the different characters, the Chana Senesh that they met in the room and the different characters. So Beit Avichai is always looking for ways to um, create new products. And uh, tell us a little bit more about the summer. Are there, are there other things? Yes. One of, one of the new programs that we started around three years ago is a monthly uh, series in English given by a variety of educators, historians. So this month, for example, we have Dr. Aviva Zorenberg that talks about, actually, it's this week's Parsha, about the Miraglim, about the spies. And it's a four-part series that looks at the whole topic and theme of Miraglim from from Hasidic, Midrashic, uh, uh, and also, since she's a scholar of world literature, literary sources, and tries to bring them to light. I mean, your question is actually very apt because that segues into our children's programs. Um, it began actually a couple of years before that, but what we found when we first started thinking about doing children's programs here is that there are different cultural centers in Jerusalem that do wonderful programs for children. But we didn't find many programs, actually we didn't find any, uh, that dealt and that kind of included a Jewish theme, Jewish content in the programming. 
Beit Bichmai is a is a is a facility open for everyone. Uh, we have people with kipot, with not kipot coming, and we knew that the kind of programs that we'd have to commission and create would have to address and resonate with an audience that's very different. It's very diverse. So Hanukkah, you're right, was one of the first things, and since the, since then it's evolved into a place about Hanukkah. And every year we try to change the play, but it kind of brings a story of Hanukkah to the fore, followed by workshops that and activities that the kids do. This summer there'll be a number of different programs. One is uh, Agadot Lebanon, what we call Moon Stories, which basically each month um, the creators of this series that created it for us for Beit Abichai took different themes from um, uh, the Midrashim, the Agadah, and Agadatas, and basically what we did was we turned each month into a different theme um, for children. The plays are performed here uh, in one of the smaller theaters that we have, and actually it's, it's wonderful to see. I mean, the, the idea really is to keep the level and the quality of the play to be as competitive and on par with any other plays that go on here in Israel, if not the world, uh, if not outside of Israel, but at the same time really, you know, highlight the Jewish theme uh, of the month. Um, the other program that we're just commissioning, so I hope it'll be good, you'll bring your children, so we hope you'll, you'll be able to be a critic for us, is uh, um, a new series of plays about Jewish kings and queens. The first one, which is going to be focusing on Melech Sha'ul, will, um, will be performed at the end of July, the last week of July. Then the last week of the, and then throughout the summer, virtually every week, there are two or three programs for children, again, combining Jewish themes. And then the last week of August, we have something that we're very proud of. It's called Shalom Kita Aleph. It's a three-day festival, which kind of introduces children, not only from Kita Aleph, but Kita Aleph, Bet, Gimel, the, the early years of the kid, to all kinds of different formats for kids to really become aware and be proud of the fact they, that they're going to first grade, all kinds of letter making, uh, you know, all kinds of things that we that uh, children are able to do with parents, and also readings. Uh, we have a special introduction that that's available to parents online, and that's been a very popular program throughout uh, uh, the past summers. So I mentioned that program already to my daughter Ella, who's going into first grade, okay. and she was so excited. She put it on her mental calendar. She that. keeps already reminding me. So how many more weeks till that Kita Aleph activity? <laughs> So uh, wonderful. It sounds like there's really a lot of great activities, lectures, concerts, um, many things going on here this summer. Um, for anyone who's out there listening and wants to check an exact schedule, you can go on to Beravichai's website, which is bac.org.il. And if you'd like to send um, David or anyone here at Beit Avichai an email, you can send it to bac at funinjerusalem.com. Terrific. Thank you. <laughs> it was great meeting you and great hearing about what Beit Avichai has to offer. Thank you very much. We look forward to seeing your, your listeners at Beit Avichai. Great. Okay, and now back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Joanna, and thank you, Rabbi Dr. David Rosenson, the CEO of Beit Avichai. They are celebrating their 10th anniversary, so a big mazel tov to them. And uh, for if you're looking for any information regarding trips, tours in Israel, or Jerusalem, you'll want to make sure to contact Joanna Shepson. She is funinjerusalem.com. She could help you out with pretty much, I mean, you could think of the wildest thing. I'm sure she has an idea of how you could accomplish that in Israel while you're going to visit or you're on a trip of some sort. Again, funinjerusalem.com. Contact her there and she will hook you up with probably one of the most exciting things you could do in Israel, whether that be if you're a type of, uh, if you're a hiker or if you're a, you want to do something water-related or army-related, she will hook you up again. Funinjerusalem.com for more on that.
We have uh, just a bit left of Bite Size, so we're going to kick it over to more music. Kol Aderech from Mordechai Shapiro right here on Bite Size on the Nachum Siegel Network.
ימים ידעתי, ידעתי, ידעתי. כי הנני בידך ובידך ובידך
Jakob Schwecki's at Recode. And if I'm playing at Recode, you know that means one thing and one thing only. I got another wedding. I mentioned in my opening that uh, I was at an Ufruf this week. It's Pash Abbas. And this coming Sunday, I have a, uh, it's the wedding of my roommate, Ellie Kirst, to Alyssa Greenberg. Really excited for that wedding. Um, definitely going to be a great time and looking forward to celebrating. It's always fun to be at weddings. And when it's a wedding of a good, good friend, which I guess most of the weddings I'm at is, is of a good friend. Um, that's obviously why I'm invited. But roommates are special, right? So that's going to be an exciting wedding. And I've gotten to know Alyssa over the year. And very excited for the two of them. I know, obviously, they're excited. Am I more excited? I, it's close. It really is close. I'm going to have to discuss it with them. But uh, pumped for that wedding. You know, June has been my wedding season. I think this is now my fourth wedding in fix five weeks this, this uh, coming Sunday, and then the following Sunday, another wedding I have. So that'll finish off my summer of weddings, five of six. But for this week, this coming Sunday, that's the, my shout-out to them, a huge mazel tov, and looking forward to this Sunday. I'd like to thank all of you for joining me here over the last two hours here on the Nachum Siegel Network. A reminder, make sure to download the NSN app, Google Play Store, App Store. You could find us there by just typing in Nachum Siegel Network. Download it, and you could catch all of our content while on the run. I know the marathon is over, but if you haven't donated and you thought about it and now you're like, you know what, after hearing this great bite-sized program, I want to donate. Or maybe you just want to donate. Maybe you ran into some cash. Maybe you were the winner of this past week's Powerball, if you're listening to me from California. Maybe you plan on winning the next Powerball. Whatever it is, if you would like to donate, go to fjbunity.org and uh I'm sure we will. they will still be taking the donations. So fjbunity.org if you want to donate. Coming up next, Avrami Finkelstein's live lunch in just a few minutes as soon as he kicks me off. But for now, I'd like to wish you all a great day and remind you that the bite size is the right size. <laughs> 